Uh, we're going to continue in our series on encountering Jesus with an uncomfortable story today. Uh, uncomfortable, maybe, I think, the most uncomfortable story in the Gospels to the modern reader. Now, uh, to the Jews, this would not have been an uncomfortable story. To the Jews, it would just be a normal story. Uh, I even think to the Gentiles in the first century, this would have been just like a normal story, pretty relatively normal. Uh, for the modern reader, this is an uncomfortable story because the attitude of Jesus in what we're going to read is somewhere between indifferent and cruel, depending on your interpretation. Now, we'll talk about why that is as we go through. But Matthew and, G uh, Matthew and Mark also portray Jesus very differently in their accounts of this story, the Canaanite woman that encounters Jesus. And uh, we'll, re we'll see some of the main differences. Matthew really makes Jesus out to be uh, a little bit harsher in the story. We'll talk about why that is. But if our goal is to understand who Jesus was, right, we're trying to understand who Jesus is, we can't shy away from the stories that make us uncomfortable. Why did Jesus act the way that he did? We've got to know that. Why? Uh, what does Jesus' words and his actions teach us about his priorities and values? So as we're encountering Jesus today as a Gentile, that's what we're focused on, encountering Jesus as a Gentile, because he didn't encounter Gentiles that often. Jesus mostly interacted with Jews. And there's a couple of stories where he encounters Gentiles, not very many, and this is one of them, Matthew and Mark. We're in, in Mark 7 and Matthew 15 today. You can see that the different color coding of the verses here. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Why couldn't he be hidden? Because everybody's looking for him, because everybody loves Jesus, because of his miracles, right? His miraculous power. Uh, but immediately a Canaanite woman from that region whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter has, is severely oppressed by a demon. A couple of things should stand out to the reader at the first outset here. Number one, he's way outside of his normal ministry territory in Tyre and Sidon. He's way up north uh, in Israel, north of Israel, really. Uh, so he's outside the normal area. Of course, he's left to go to the normal, uh, gone out in this area because he wants to get away. He wants to hide. He wants to be, uh, to be by himself for a bit. Doesn't work out very well. The second thing we should note, of course, the woman is not a Jew. Now, Matthew records it. She's a Canaanite woman from that region. Uh, Mark gives a little more detail. She's a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. So she's not, she's not been born a Jew and then has moved there. She is a non-Jew. She is a Gentile, right? Now, in the Modern context, that doesn't matter as much because we're thinking about, of course, we're in the church era and, and the kingdom has been open to the Gentiles. This is unusual in the Gospels, specifically. Jesus does not often go this far out of Israel and he does not often encounter Gentiles. Immediately to the Gospel reader, especially the reader in the first century, this stands out. This woman who Jesus really has no business dealing with. He did talk to the Samaritan. We looked at that, oh, when was that? A couple weeks ago in John chapter 4. And one of the things that stood out about his encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4 is she immediately realizes, hey, you, you guys don't like us. And the Samaritans, of course, they're half Jew, right? They're, they're partially Jewish, as opposed to this woman who is not Jewish at all. And the Canaanite, or not the Canaanite, the Samaritan woman, she knew, hey, Jesus, you're a Jew. You guys shouldn't like us. Why are you even talking to me? And we see Jesus demonstrate a little bit of what that means in the next few verses. We keep reading. And I want to note, especially here, 
the difference between Matthew and Mark. Now, Matthew is the blue text. Mark is the white text. In Mark, it's just, she comes and she says this thing, and then Mark just goes right in. He said to her, let the children be fed first. Matthew goes out of his way to give a different side of Jesus here. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, uh, Lord, help me. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And the first reaction might be, wow, is, this, is Jesus really comparing this one to a dog? Right? That's on the surface, and let's be honest, that's what it is. She's the dog in the story, right? It's not right to take the children's bread. Who's the children? That's the Israelites, the Jews. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. We're not going to give that to the dogs. Now, Matthew and Mark, there's a difference here again. Mark doesn't really go into this. Matthew goes into the idea that at the beginning, Jesus just ignores this woman. This woman comes to him, is crying out, please help me, my daughter has a demon, please do something. And Jesus just ignores her. And it seems to be in Matthew's account that Jesus would have just continued to ignore her, except the disciples came and are like, please deal with this woman. Please deal with this. this she's crying out after us. She's, she's causing a ruckus. Please do something. And then, of course, Jesus does. And it's only, it only seems to be that because the disciples complain that he does anything. And so immediately, the reaction, confusion, contempt, what's going on here? Why would Jesus treat this woman this way? Because I thought Jesus loved everyone. The comparison to the dog is especially jarring. Now, it should be noted that the word, specific word for dog here is more akin to puppy or pet, although I would say that doesn't necessarily make it better, right? It is, it's not like a, it's not like a, a, a like a wild stray dog, but you know, the dog that people have affection for because people love puppies. But still, he is ignoring her at first, and then it seems to be saying to her, I'm not here for you. I'm here for Israel. You're a Canaanite, you're a Gentile. I'm, I'm not here for you. And so the first thing we should learn from this story, if we're thinking about who is Jesus, is his laser focus on the mission. The mission, of course prophesied to the Jews, came from the Jews, and would be killed by the Jews and the Romans, but at the behest of the Jews. And so Jesus is not one to get distracted from his purpose. Very specific mission at the time that he is sent, and he says this to, the, he says this to his disciples specifically, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, of course, we know, reading this, it becomes unusual to us because we know, based on having the rest of the story, that, of course, Jesus' mission ultimately is not just for the Gentiles. His mission was to save all of the world, right? God so loved the world, the entire world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, and that whoever, of course, is not just including Jews, but includes all people, that's what makes the story so jarring. We know the outcome. We know what's going to happen. We know what Jesus is going to do. So why is he treating this woman this way? She answered him, we keep reading, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Of course, she's going along with this metaphor, the children, of course, being Israel, and the dog being the Gentiles. Uh, the, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs that fall from the master's table. He said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. 
For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And her daughter was healed immediately and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Now, Jesus did end up showing compassion to the woman, but only after allowing her to beg. And we should note, this is not outside of the normal scope of Jesus' ministry. There were many times when Jesus expected people to be a little more involved, to, to pursue him to a certain degree. Of course, we remember the woman who's trying to find him in the crowd, and she can't, get, she can't get to him, and she just is crawling toward him, and just eventually touches his, the hem of his garment, and he makes that famous statement, who, who touched me? I noticed power came out for me. And, and of course that, again, similarly, Jesus is not just healing everybody. We look at, uh, we've read that, uh, we've examined that question before, where there's many people at the pool, right, the pool of Bethsaida, where there's all these people who are, who are invalid and crippled and broken, and he doesn't heal anyone, he just heals this one guy. Why is that? There's a limited nature to Jesus' ministry that, that makes us ask, perhaps, why? Why is Jesus acting this way? Now, some have suggested, if you, if you study this on your own, you'll find this fairly quickly, that Jesus is testing the woman. There's a test here. Would she persist after initial rejection? Uh, Luke 18, there's a similar idea that, that, that Jesus may be asking her to do a little bit more. How persistent will you be? The, in Luke 18, it's the parable of the persistent widow. Right of the, the Jesus has this teaching where you ask once and it's denied and you keep pestering and keep pestering this woman he's at knocking at the lawyer or the the, uh, the judge's door and she keeps pestering and keeps pestering and finally the judge gives in and he'll he'll grant your request and the idea of persistent prayer maybe that's what's going on here it doesn't really seem to be the case that Jesus is testing her at least it's not overt in the text he doesn't give any teaching to accompany it he just ignores her she keeps going finally the disciples say do something about this. He has compassion and she's healed. So maybe it is a test, although that's not explicit in the text. Or perhaps she persuaded him to do something that he wouldn't have otherwise done, which is in fact the point of the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18. The point is persistence will grant results in prayer. Maybe that's what this is. This woman has convinced him to do a thing that he wasn't, wouldn't otherwise have done, and that's what we're supposed to learn from this. But I would note, and you'll notice in your bulletin, of course, that I've included a lot more of Matthew, 7, uh, Matthew 15 and Mark 7, because the way Matthew and Mark frame the story makes much more sense following what Jesus taught immediately prior. So if we go back a bit in the chapters, Mark 7 and Matthew 15, we find this teaching. And he called the people to him and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. The things that come out of a person are what defile him. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees are offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and the blind will bleed. if the blind lead the blind, they both will fall into a pit. He's talking, of course, about the Pharisees here. If you follow what the Pharisees say... You're going to end up in the pit too, because they're going to end up in the pit. And there's an interesting contrast immediately, if you put these stories together, of this Canaanite woman who is at the lowest rung in society in, in how they regard people. And you have the Pharisees, who are at the highest regard. They're the ones that are the teachers of the law. They're the ones in charge. They're the ones who have prestige and authority. And we have the Pharisees up here, and we have the Canaanite woman down here. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, they're blind. They're going to be rooted up. 
If you follow them, you'll end up in the pit. When he says to the woman, your great faith, because of your great faith, it will be done for you. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Now, the first teaching here, there's nothing, outside of that by, uh, there's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. He's talking about food. He's going to clarify that in a minute. Standing in direct contradiction to Old Testament law and longstanding tradition, right? About the food laws in the Old Testament and then several traditions that have been built up about food and how you treat food and how you handle food and the different dishes and there's all sorts of things. And Jesus' point here, what you eat, that's not going to defile you. What comes out of a person? Now he clarifies that more and he said to them, do you not understand? Do you not see that what goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters into his heart, uh, not into his heart, but into his stomach and is expelled? Just the food that we eat, just basic human biology here. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person proceeds from the heart. That is the words. That is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, false witness, slander, pride, and foolishness. These are not a matter of eating and drinking. These are a matter of who you are. What you care about. What you think. What you feel. Matters of the heart. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile anyone. Now, you might get sick if you eat with unwashed hands too much, but that's not his point. His point of defiling is defiling before God. That is, you are ritually unclean and unfit to enter the presence of the Lord. That's really what this idea of defiling is. And his point that he's making, you guys are thinking about the wrong stuff. You guys are caring about the wrong kinds of things. I am declaring all foods clean in direct contradiction to Old Testament and tradition. So what does this teach us about the Gentile woman? How does this help us understand that story? One of the things that should become more obvious the more we study Jesus is that he is a disruptor. He is disrupting the status quo constantly. Everywhere he goes, he is trying to get people out of their old habits, their, their mental ruts, their way of thinking that are not good. He came not just to enforce the old law, but to fulfill it and ultimately change it. Now, not change the content of the old law, but implement new laws and new expectations from God. The food thing is one of them, right? Thus he declared all foods clean. That's Mark's point. These stories, the teaching and, of course, the encounter with the woman, feed into this overarching purpose of Jesus. Matthew and Mark immediately transition from Jesus altering the way people think about food to altering the way the Jews think about the Gentiles. And this serves a larger point, that not only is Jesus interacting with Jews in the way they think about the old law in a bad way, but now he's interacting with a Gentile. There's another story that he does that too that we'll talk about in just a minute. Jesus does not just come to fulfill what the Jews already thought, to establish what they already think, to confirm their own biases. He comes so that they will look at a new way, a new way of thinking about food, and ultimately a new way that includes the Gentiles. And as a Gentile, one of your first questions in interaction with the Jews, we see this in the New Testament in Acts, do I really have to do all the stuff that the Jews do? Do I really have to follow all those food laws? Do I really have to follow all these rituals? And of course, Jesus has already clarified it. No, you don't. 
It's not what a person eats that matters. It's what is in your heart and your soul. How you act, how you speak, how you treat people. That's what matters. That's what Jesus cares about. Which is so odd then that Jesus seems to be casually cruel or dismissive of the Canaanite woman. It's not what you eat, but how you think. And then he treats this woman this way. Except we should note that he really shouldn't have had any dealing with the woman at all as a Gentile. We remember the Samaritan's woman reaction, and she was half Gentile, half Jewish. He shouldn't really be dealing with this woman at all, which he demonstrates at the first, right? He ignores her in Matthew. But her persistence, her faith, and her dedication, he does ultimately, even though he has a specific mission, still engage with this woman who is outside of his mission parameters. He is willing to help. He is willing to heal. He is willing to engage with this woman, either as a test or out of necessity. The text is not clear. Make your own decision about that. But he is willing to engage with this woman who he really has no business dealing with. And he recognizes that faith, which is one of those things that comes out of the heart, contrasted with the food, not only is it evil things that come out of the heart, he has that list of sexual immorality and false witness and slander and all that stuff, but it's also faith. The good that comes out of the heart. The good that comes out of the heart in this woman is her faith. He says it in this way in Matthew 8 concerning the centurion who comes to Jesus. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, truly I tell you with no one in Israel have I found such faith. It is, I think, significant that the two encounters of Jesus with the Gentile make the point that Israel is not so special. Israel has all these laws, all of these commandments, all of these things that God gave them, and they ultimately focused on the wrong things. And they cared about the wrong stuff, and they took the wrong lessons. But in his encounters with Gentiles, he notices... Yes, even the Gentiles can have this kind of faith. Because it's not what goes into a body, but what comes out of the heart that matters. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever your past. Decades later, Paul echoes the same kind of teaching that we see in Jesus here. Jesus came to Jews for a specific purpose. But ultimately, it was not really the Jews who benefited. It was everyone, including the Gentiles. Even though Jesus came to the Jews, that was his mission, that was his purpose. We, and I say we because I suspect that everyone, in, maybe not everyone, 99% of the people in this room were Gentiles. We are the ones who benefited. Romans 9, 30 through 10, 3. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith, like the woman, the Canaanite woman, like the centurion. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. That's the whole business of food laws. You're so concerned about the food you're eating and the washing and the rituals and all those things, you're missing the points. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it was written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What's the stumbling block? It's Jesus. 
He is the stumbling block. They couldn't get over it. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Jews is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit, and here's the key phrase, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Because they did not pursue it by faith, as if it were based on works. The teaching about the food laws serves as a stand-in for a larger problem, that my ability to follow a specific set of laws is what will save me. That's the problem. Stop thinking that way, that if I can follow X, Y, or Z law to the best of my ability, I can do all of these things exactly right, then I'll be good enough for God baloney. You won't. You can't. You never will be. Because what comes out of a person, in the heart, that's what defiles him. And ultimately, we all have in our hearts the evil thoughts, the slander, the jealousy, the envy. Maybe, hopefully, not murder, but I, I suspect you've wanted to murder some people. We all have these things in us. And ultimately, this is why the Jews rejected Jesus, right? They couldn't accept this paradigm. The new thing that Jesus offered, and I, I would suggest, in what ways are we falling into the same trap? into the trap of thinking that if I follow X, Y, or Z command exactly right, then I'll be good enough. We all are in danger of that same temptation for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. And for us, who what might we be excluding as the Jews excluded the Gentiles even long after Jesus' ascension? When he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to all the ends of the earth, he says at the end, after he's resurrected, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Not just the Jews, but even the Gentiles. Who are we excluding? Because they don't act like we think they should. They don't talk like we think they should. They don't dress like we think they should. Because we think of these things in human terms. When Jesus has shown us it's not just Israelites. It's not just those who we think are righteous that will be righteous. It's those who will have the faith of the Canaanite woman. Who will remember, ultimately, that it's Jesus' power that matters. We are all the Canaanite woman. Begging, begging Jesus for help with a problem that we cannot fix from a person that has no obligation to help us. Jesus didn't have to help that woman. That was the whole point. Jesus didn't have to help her. He chose to help her because of her faith. Jesus does not have to help you. He does so because he loves you and because we come to him begging and pleading for his help, which he can give. And he wants to give and will give we are all dogs. And not in the nice puppy cute way. We're the dogs begging, scrounging, homeless, in need of shelter that Jesus offers. If we will get out of our old way of thinking, thinking about our own righteousness, our own ability to follow God's commands, and recognize that we need his help, we need his healing, 